We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Feel like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Daymore NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcasts. After another Timberwolves win, another blowout actually. The Timberwolves won 119 to 100 over the Detroit Pistons. Uh, yes, it, it was the tanking Pistons tonight, and the last blowout win was against the tanking Magic. But before we start putting asterisks on this win, which you know we'll do to some extent, you know I, I think we got to take stock. Of this Wolves team, now 19 games in uh, to the time since D'Angelo Russell returned. Because it's, objectively, they've been a good team. You know, they're 10-9 and since D'Lo got back. 10-7 and in the 17 games Cat has also played in. Overall in that stretch, they're 14th on offense and 25th on defense with a neutral net rating. So, you know, they're like a, they've been like an average team in the NBA landscape. And the numbers are even more encouraging if you kind of isolate for the Wolves' most relevant lineups. I mean, when, when Cat and D'Lo have shared the floor over that this stretch here, the Wolves have outscored opponents by 20 points in the 301 minutes that those two guys have been on the floor. When Cat and Ant have shared the floor, that's been their best two-man lineup. They've, they've outscored opponents by 79 points in 491 minutes. And while all three of those guys have shared the floor, Cat, D'Lo, and Ant, they're plus 30 in 238 minutes. So, you know, on paper, it's... The most relevant Wolves lineups have been successful. Even even the Rubio and Russell uh, pairing has outscored opponents by 13 points in the time that D'Lo and Rubio have shared the floor. The thing, though, that we have to remember, or I just kind of want to remember for myself, is that a lot of those pluses, and that's just like raw plus minus, um, 
know, those, those pluses, as we look back this summer, they're, they're going to be a large product of these past two games, right? Because the D-low sample size is not going to have been that big. And the plus minuses in these two were, you know, insane against Orlando and Detroit. I mean, Cat and D-low might be a plus 30 since D-low returned, but they were a plus 45 these past two games. So technically, you know, Cat and D-low were minus 15 in what would that have been the 15 games that they played in before these two so it's it's inflated um, um by these last two games and even that cat and ant pairing that's plus 79 over these past 19 games is almost exclusively a product of these past two games i mean against <laughs> against detroit and orlando when cat and deal or when cat and ant were both on the floor the wolves were plus 63 in 60 minutes of play D'Lo, Cat, and Ant were actually a minus 10 in the 202 minutes they shared the floor before these two games, before going plus 42 over these last two. So, you know, I, I don't I don't say this to totally negate the past two form performances. Like, they count. I mean, look at look at Utah all year. We Everybody talks about their plus minuses and Gobert this and Mike Conley that. Like, when you're playing well, you outscore teams by a lot. Like, it... It, it, it's all relevant to some degree, but again, it's, it's a reminder for myself that when I'm whatever <laughs> doing previews for next season, that like I take a mental note here and I don't just look up these numbers of the minutes that Cat, D'Lo, and Ant shared the floor and said, well, you know, they were a winning team when those three shared the floor last season. Like that's not necessarily true, true. I mean, what we know, know about this group, about this, about this team you know, when they're at full strength and healthy, that they're clearly far better than the bottom feeders of the league. That's what we've really learned, like, with a bullet over this past month. So, really, what, what we have to do is assess this team, I think, you know, is look for specific things that have improved over this stretch. Things that have not only been good now, but that can also take a big step forward next season. Because at the end of the day, like, the Wolves have aspirations next season of having of being better than 500 or having a neutral net rating. And the one thing for me that really sticks out as as an item that has been grow increasingly good but could take another step forward in a big way, and that one thing I, I think is Anthony Edwards in the pick and roll. And in tonight's game, we saw Edwards and Cat synergize well in the pick and roll. We've seen more and more of that um, as the obviously since Kat's been back and that they've been, those two have been playing more. And I think that like, when I look at Ant's box score tonight, it's, you know, it's relatively pedestrian by his standards. He had 22 points, two boards, two assists, two steals, you know, two of six from three, five of 10 from two, like not what he's been, but we could still isolate for the things that, you know, were kind of additions to his bag. And again, the thing I'm focused on tonight is specifically the pick and roll. I asked Chris Finch after tonight's game if he kind of sees the pick and roll for Anth as, as kind of his next horizon to cross. Chris, we've seen um, a, a growing part of Ant's game uh, since you've been here, kind of be in the in the pick and roll. Do you do you kind of see that him as a handler there being a kind of a next horizon for him in terms of even adding more production to his game? I do. I really do. Um, right now, you know, pick and roll is pretty elementary for him. It's, it's about him trying to get downhill and be attack minded. 
Um, you know, once he learns his reads, once he learns to read a defense, once he learns to kind of manipulate the spacing and pick and roll, these are all things that um, we're pretty excited about his growth in that capacity. What do you think that that, that looks like, like might look different about his pick and roll game if we're seeing him, you know, 20, 30 games into next season? Well, I, you know, I think he can find the pocket pass more um, once he understands how to create it, uh, once he understands how to deliver it. I think he can uh, find, you know, downhill um, late plays. Maybe, uh, you know, we don't necessarily have a, a lob threat on the floor a lot of times, but maybe late lobs, maybe kickouts, maybe, you know, keep his dribble alive and create for people on the other side. The way I think about Edwards and the pick and roll is similar to you know, how I think we were all thinking about Ant's overall shot selection earlier in the year. Like, we knew he had some things to iron out in his shot decision-making. You know, with and we, we've seen that. We, we've seen him now prioritizing rim attacks and isolation situations and, you know, just making better decision, decisions to pass out of some of those more difficult shots. I think the, the tricky part about pick and roll is that in ways it can kind of tap into some of those bad habits or kind of some of the more inefficient parts of the game. Like pick and roll, pick and roll's great. It's it's the easiest way to find an advantage on offense in the NBA. Just, it is. But I, we've seen it be a cheat code for a lot of the elite scores in the league, but it also puts you in, in, in tricky decision-making situations, right? Like it forces you as the ball handler to kind of operate from the mid-range. That's where... You get the screen, you get to the nail, and now you're making your decision. And if you make a bad decision there, or frequently make bad decisions, you kind of start to negate that advantage that you've kind of triggered by the screen. In tonight's game, Ant ran six pick and rolls that he either shot out of or passed out of, and a shot came. And three of those six, they were nice. He had a downhill drive off a high screen from Cat that he finished at the rim, he had a clean pick and pop to Cat that Cat ended up missing, but it was, you know, it's, it's, that's an action you want to see a lot of. And then he had another high screen from Cat, drove into the middle, kicked to Rubio on a drive and kick, and Rubio made the shot. But on the other three possessions, two of them were Ant getting into mid-range and taking tough mid-range jump shots. And then in another one, he got a little bit deeper and tried to kind of force a pass to Cat that ended up being a turnover. So, again, just like he ironed out in his shot selection, there are clear things he needs to iron out in his pick-and-roll game. And it's it's more complicated than just simple shot selection decision-making. Like, you need tons of reps in the NBA in pick-and-roll to kind of get comfortable with it. And a real positive externality of this season is the fact that Ant, like, back to the Saunders days has gotten a ton of reps in pick-and-roll this year. Only 13 players in the NBA this season have shot out of a pick-and-roll action more times than Anthony Edwards has this season. Only 13 players. Curry, Lillard, DeRozan, Doncic, Levine, Trey Young, Bradley Beal, Chris Paul, Donovan Mitchell, De'Aaron Fox, Colin Sexton, Malcolm Brogdon, and John Morant. High-volume pick-and-roll players. Ants right up there with them. Now... Ant has the worst efficiency of all of those, you include him, 14 players in those situations. But I think, you know, I think it's meaningful that he's been able to get nearly 500 reps in those spots. And 
this is a situation where I think those type of reps, even though they're inefficient, are going to be beneficial long term. I just think being inefficient here is very different than being inefficient on just mid-range jump shots in general. Like, this is a whole play type. It's not just a one shot. If I was sitting here saying, Ant took 500 mid-range jump shots this year, this year, like, he's getting comfortable with it, he's getting his reps, like, that would be stupid, you know? There's just a ceiling on isolation mid-range jump shots. Like, the reason this pick-and-roll action is encouraging that he's getting reps is is that we know with other players like Ant how profitable the pick and roll can be. With you know reps and a higher level of understanding, you, you can see a future with Ant where he grows into being as efficient in those actions as some of those guys I listed above were. Now, I think it's going to probably be something that takes some time, probably more time than it took him to kind of iron out some of his just general shot selection stuff. But I do think that I do think that the pick and roll is the next horizon for Ant when it comes to just taking another big offensive leap. I'm going to take a quick break here and then come back to talk about a few other sort of trends from the, these past few games that we can kind of parse for being, being, you know, real or fake. Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions, and now they want to help even more. With a Credit Karma money spend account, you can be rewarded for good money habits. Credit Karma money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. When you use your Credit Karma money debit card, you can win daily instant karma purchase reimbursements on items up to $5,000. Just pay with your debit card, and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot, and your instant karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Credit Karma Money has already given away over $3 million in Instacarma to over 50,000 Credit Karma members and counting. Open your FDIC-insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and there are free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. Credit Karma Money progress starts here. Right now, visit creditkarma.com slash winmoney to open your free account and start winning Instant Karma. Go to creditkarma.com slash win money to sign up for free and start winning instant karma. That's creditkarma.com slash win money. Instant karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules banking services provided by MVB Bank Incorporated. Member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. Look, no one's perfect. So if you feel like you come up short in the bedroom sometimes, it's perfectly okay. But if it's bothering you, there are options. Go to getroman.com slash more now. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. A U.S. licensed healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, it ships to you free with two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com more and complete an online visit. Take care of your ED without leaving home. Complete an online visit today to connect with a doctor and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com slash more now to get $15 off your first month. Look, there's a straightforward way to take care of your ED. GetRoman.com slash more. Get started now to save $15 on your first month of treatment. So for me tonight, if there was one player that really stood out to me in tonight's game, it was D'Angelo Russell. And if there was one thing about D'Angelo Russell's game that stood out, it was his, it was his passing. And... 
what I, what I think is encouraging is, you know, before looking at the box score, just like kind of in my head, my, my general assess, assessment of Delo's game tonight would have been, you know, he was impactful. He was positive. And, and for, it, it, that's a different feeling than to go look at the box score and see that he was five of 18 from the field. And we, we you know, we've had other nights like that at the beginning of the year with Delo where you're like, man, the shot was off. And that led to him just not being helpful when he was out there. Like that wasn't the case tonight because, because his passing stood out and it, it's, it's been standing out. We've, we've seen now how Delo can be a special passer, you know, special passes that when, you know, they're converted lead to just wide open layups for dunks or layup, you know, for his teammates. And that's the thing I think I'm gathering with Ant is that his assist type, not Ant, sorry, with Delo are that his assist types are like the most valuable type of assist because they're the assists that, if converted, are going to get you two points. And I think kind of hidden in Delo's stats here since the All-Star break are his assist numbers. I don't think they really do him do his passing justice. He's he's only averaged 6.6 assists per game since coming back. But, I mean, we know there's a lot of context to apply there, right? The context that has sort of padded down his per-game numbers. The For those first 15 games, he was coming off the bench, you know, playing less than 25 minutes a night. He's also been sharing the floor with other really good passers who handle the ball a lot, like Cat and Rubio, and those guys just eat up, you know, assist opportunities. I think it's meaningful that, that D'Lo has assisted on 35% of the Wolves' shots when he's on the floor since he's been back. You know, that's his assist rate. And if you kind of line that up against the other leaders in the league post-All-Star break, that's right around the same rate that Nikola Jokic and Draymond Green have you know have assisted at this year and and I, I mentioned those two names obviously to highlight other special passers who are kind of in the that top pantheon of passers in the league but as I was you know kind of writing down those guys names prepping for this I kind of kind of started thinking about how those two are a weirdly good comps for D'Lo as a passer like obviously Jokic and Green aren't traditional point guards and What's kind of proving to be true is D'Lo isn't really either. Yeah, it's different than Jokic and Green, but he's similar to those guys in that they are similarly like home run swing passers. They're they're searching for their teammates not just in like the right spot, but in perfect spots where they're going to get their teammate on a back cut or on a dive for for just a simple layup. I don't know. I, I think it kind of works. We we certainly saw it tonight. Um, and, and in the postgame press conference, John mentioned this to, to Chris Finch, and, and Finch was, yeah, he was with it too. I know we've talked about Delos passing kind of a lot lately, but some of those little in-traffic pocket passes that he has, I mean, it seems like he's a quarterback that can throw a receiver open a little bit. Is that fair to say, just being able to hit those things that, that a lot of others couldn't? Yeah, great analogy. Really, and, and you know, and his turnovers, I don't even mind because if they get through their their buckets, so it's on, it's like a fifty percent shot if you think about it. Like if it goes through its points, if it's a turnover, then it's a, it's basically like a missed shot. Um, so uh, yeah, his passing is elite, and it's been on display now, and he's really enjoying setting his teammates up. I think there's the biggest thing that I've learned about D'Lo in his time here now is is how special of a passer he can be. You know, I definitely in my own head had him more labeled as a, a shot maker who was kind of just 
a fast a flashy passer uh like next to that but i think i think dilo's proven to be a pretty smart passer and tonight again in a game that he didn't have a shot going i think it, it's really encouraging to see him be impactful in the passing game he had he had 10 assists tonight the other thing that's been on my mind today is just kind of the status of the power forward position on this team as, as the season winds down. Well, we got to, we got to talk to Jared Vanderbilt um, this morning at shoot around a little bit. And it just got me going down in my head, like the, the rabbit hole of thinking about what this front court looks like next season, if they don't add a power forward in the off season. And like for, for the record, I still think they will address that position in some way this summer, but you know, that's going to be addressing it is might require lottery balls it might require you know just the right move presenting itself so it's it's no lock and I I think it's a real testament to the guys in that position group currently that it doesn't seem completely insane if they don't address the power forward position this summer and and man if I could have heard myself saying that like three months ago when power forward was just a tire fire on this team I mean that's a that's really a massive improvement for this team. And of course, that's a product of McDaniels' ascension over the course of the season. It's a product of the surge of recent play from Jared Vanderbilt. And then also just what Nas Reed has been able to show in his, you know, his second year in the league. And also, you know, a little sprinkle in there from Juancho Hernan Gomez stuff. But I guess the simple hypothetical question I had going through my head is like, what do we want out of Cat's front court partner? And then more specifically, like what that, that, that like spreads a wide gradient of what we want. Like we have big dreams for that, but if we kind of isolate that down for what can realistically be expected from these guys on this team that we want the front court partner to be, I mean, nailing that down is a little bit harder and a little bit more limiting. I mean, you've all heard me make the case for the idea of bringing in a real rim defender next to cat as a potential like option this summer. Obviously, I've kind of gone all in on my Miles Turner type of obsession, but you know, there, there's not a there's not a Turner archetype of player on this roster. So the only way to get that is to go out and do it in the market this offseason is to get that real rim protector. With this roster, you know, you you would need a different archetype of power forward for them to sort of fit into. And it's got me thinking about some stuff I did years ago. And I don't know, for those of you who read me years ago and, or listened to me back then, you might remember that like Paul Millsap was my, my Miles Turner like three years ago. I, I wanted the Wolves to get Millsap and use him next to Cat defensively, like just how the Nuggets went on to use Millsap next to Jokic. I just remember it, it killed me when the Nuggets jumped from 25th in defensive rating in 2017-18 up to 10th in defensive rating in 2018-19 because the Millsap and Jokic fit was great. You know, Millsap as a weak side defender, he was he was just a game changer for them as like backline insurance for Jokic. It allowed the Nuggets to completely shift the level that they played Jokic on defending screens and as a product of that they jumped up to being a like a well above average defense. Now, it's definitely a discounted version of that with Vanderbilt next to Towns. Like, he's he's not Paul Millsap, or he's not you know, 32-year-old Paul Millsap. But that's the value, schematically, that Vanderbilt can provide. 
And Vando actually played next to Millsap. Obviously, he was in Denver for two years. And, you know, obviously picked up some tip, tips of the trade there. So this morning when we when we had him uh, on for shoot-around, I asked if he, he felt there were similarities between his role as a player and a leader on this Timberwolves team to Millsap's role as a player and leader in Denver. Jared, you talk about uh, the veterans that you played next to um, in, in Denver. I'm assuming Paul Millsap was one of those influential players. Do you feel that your role on this team is in ways at all similar to what Millsap's was or is, I guess, in Denver? Um, I would say in a way, yeah. Uh, just being that uh, anchor on defense and just uh, kind of being that voice as well. I kind of learned a lot from him. Uh, just how he approached the game and how uh, he approached practices and, and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I would say just being that anchor on defense and uh, going out there trying to guard everybody and uh, just trying to raise the level of intensity because uh, I feel like it has been contagious. You know, just when you see somebody else diving on the floor, it kind of uh, speeds up your reaction time. Like, okay, yeah, like everybody be on the same page. So and just holding guys accountable who aren't right now. So, uh, yeah, I feel like uh, in, in, in certain ways it is, it is kind of similar. You're 21. Do you feel like a, a leader in ways on this team? Uh, yeah, I would say so. Just more so right now, just by action. I feel like me going out there and just leading by example, going out there, you know, fighting and, and uh, you know, guarding and, and going for loose balls and hustle plays and stuff like that. I feel like it has carried over just uh, watching guys like, you know, even Ant had 10 rebounds last game. I feel like we was on him a little bit. Now he, he's just seeing guys going crash, office rebounds, stuff like that. And you got Nas diving on the floor and stuff like that. I just feel like it's all contagious. It, it, it just sets a great culture. And uh, uh, especially young guys right now, I feel like, you know, we should we should be the hardest playing team. We should be uh, the fastest team. We should be, you know, stuff like that. We are because we're a young veteran team. That's that's the advantage we have against, you know, some of these older veteran teams that kind of got more experience. So I feel like that's being young and active and flying around and, and just causing chaos and stuff like that. That's what we should, we should be doing as a young team right now. So if defense is a culture and contagious, kind of as Vanderbilt suggests, then, I mean, there really is a strong case that Vanderbilt is kind of like that contagion. I think I think his pointing out Ant's rebounds and Nas's added active activity is, is fair as things that Vanderbilt might have influenced himself. I mean, I'm not a big believer in the idea that Vanderbilt should be the starting power forward or next season or anything, but I do think he deserves this... You know, pray. I feel like I'm using the last five minutes of every one of these podcasts to just rave about Vanderbilt, but his presence has been impactful on the defensive end, and the numbers speak for themselves. The Wolves have a defensive rating of 108.3 when he's on the floor this season, the best of anyone on the team in the rotation, and when he's been off the floor, the Wolves' defensive rating is 115.5, the worst off-court number of anyone on the team. But related, you know, if if he isn't the answer for the majority of the minutes at power forward, which I think we can all agree that he, you know, isn't the power forward of the future here in a starting role, then, you know, you you start thinking about how you would mismatch this position together with Vanderbilt and other guys on the team. And I think another part of that mismatch we're seeing is probably Nas Reed. Now, it's sort of shifted lately since Vanderbilt has been back in the rotation. We've seen fewer Nas and Cat together minutes, but we have seen Nas 
actually play in two big front courts now a lot since Finch has taken over. We, we've seen him both next to Cat and next to Vanderbilt. The Nas and Vanderbilt numbers are unreal. I mean, since the All-Star break, Nas has played 153 of his 580 minutes next to Vanderbilt, and the Wolves have a net rating of plus 14.1 in those minutes. And also, in the 128 minutes he's been next to Cat, the net rating is also positive, plus 2.7. Like, the two-big front court with Nas has worked in this stretch of games. Which got me thinking about, like, you know, is, is that the future? So I asked Nas after tonight's game if he sees himself as more of a power forward or a center going into next season. When you're going into this, I mean, we'll, we'll probably talk to you again before the offseason hits, but, like, when you're going into this offseason, are you going into it thinking that you're preparing to be a center next year or a power forward? That's a great question. Uh, I mean, I want to work towards both, to be honest. Uh, being able to do both, I'll be on the floor longer. Um, being able to handle different things that's thrown at me. Uh, so I, I would say that's a great question. I'll, I'll probably look at both, to be honest. To me, that answer right there that Nas might even consider being a power forward going forward, I mean, that is that's kind of the perfect microcosm for how much our perception of this front court has just evolved in a couple of months. Cat and Nas shared the floor for five total minutes before Finch got here. That a big part of like Nas's future could be as a power forward. That's just that's just a pretty wild development. And it cer- it certainly add a- adds an interesting wrinkle into like how they could mash that possession position together this offseason. At-, at the same time, like you know, when you- when you feel the need to mash a position together, it's probably a sign that you just need to address the position like in a meaningful way. So again, that that's probably the likely reality for this team. It's the power, power forward position probably doesn't look like this again next year. I'd assume a change happens. But I do think there is a decent possibility that Rosas and company decide to roll with McDaniels as the starting power forward next season. And, you know, then kind of mashing around that. Even if McDaniels is like a 30 minutes a night guy next season, I would guess that, you know, 10 or so of those minutes a night come at small forward. So we're, we're left with a pretty big slice of the minutes power forward open, even if the position isn't addressed this summer. And at the end of the day, I guess I'm just encouraged that there is a non-gross way to address that piece of the pie with the pieces that are already on this roster because at the beginning of the year, it was just it was just gross. All right, that's what I got for you tonight. Um, with that win, the Wolves have now officially slid into that sixth slot in the tanking standings. They have three games left, but with 22 wins, they are now a win ahead of Cleveland, Oklahoma City, and Orlando, and two wins now ahead of Detroit, and of course, way ahead of Houston, six wins ahead of them. And I'm just not sure any of those teams are going to win another game, you know, down the rest of the way. Maybe one of Cleveland, OKC, and Orlando win one game. One of them do, you know, pushing their total to 22. So I, I think, like, from a purely tanking standpoint like the Wolves best case scenario now is that they tie with a team in the five so they split the odds between the five and six but it it feels like six is probably home it feels like that's you know where they're gonna where they're gonna wind up that 27.6 percent chance of keeping the pick this summer I guess that's good news from from the sense that they can 
they can try to win these last three games. Like, if six is already happening, then you know even a three-game winning streak to close out the season, which I guess would be a five-game winning streak, you know that that wouldn't change their odds at all. They, if they're already at six, and they don't feel like those other teams are going to win, they don't really have incentive to not try their hardest in these these final three games. Like Toronto's in the seventh slot, and they have five more wins than the Wolves do. So I don't know. I mean, the tanking stuff, it, it just it is what it is. We've already covered that extensively on many of the other pods. So I, that's that's where I'm at. It just it is what it is. The next one, uh, the next game is Thursday night at home against Denver. Cat always seems to get a little tuned up for Jokic matchups. So that'll be, that'll be a fun one to dig into after that. Um, I will talk to you then. Until then, see you Thursday night. I'm Dane. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stop, yeah. Green it hard so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards.